Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Kei te whakaronga mai koe ki tō tātou au hurihuri. He hōtaka e pāna ki tō tātou au whānui. You're with our changing world on RNZ National. And now, let me take you back to Australia this time to the Australian Synchrotron in Melbourne. Welcome to the Australian Synchrotron. What we'll be doing is walking our way down to the main Synchrotron building. Um, I'll give you a quick overview of our beam lines, what it is we do and the role we play in Australian and New Zealand science. The key thing with the beam lines we'll be visiting is they show the diversity of the work that we support. Um, that is the uniqueness of the facility. We are the only one in the country, so the capacity that we... A synchrotron is essentially a giant ring with electrons zooming around at the speed of light. It helps scientists with many quests, from cancer research to food science and even art restoration. And researchers from all corners of the world flock to the facility to use one of its ten beamlines to probe their samples. The electron gun shoots bunches of electrons at just under 99% the speed of light into this booster ring, at which point they're sped up by a series of magnets until they exit the booster ring at closer to its 99.9987% the speed of light. And then they fly around this storage ring for anything up to about 48 hours. They're constantly being topped up. There's a natural rate of attrition when electrons sort of drop out. But the entire point of this ring is to have a very consistent, very precise and accurate, very tightly focused beam that is then deflected off at these tangents. And it's the deflection of the light from its natural bending path. That deflection causes the synchrotron light, which is a million times brighter than the sun. And that's the light that we harness, we finesse, we bend it and manipulate it in different ways as it's working its way down to these endpoints. And the endpoints are where the experiments happen. It is at one of these endpoints, a beamline that allows scientists to investigate the exact 3D structure of proteins, that I meet a Kiwi researcher. My name is Dr. Tom Craddock Davies. Uh, I'm the principal scientist of the two protein crystallography or MX beamlines here at the Australian Synchrotron. I was a postdoctoral fellow in Ted Baker's laboratory at the University of Auckland, and I came to use the MX1 beamline in 2007. And they were some of the very earliest user experiments of that beamline. So literally, uh, it just yes, started was starting a up, year before. Yes, they were very before. starting up. Yes, was, I think that was the start of the general user program. We came on an experiment, but we had a lot of technical problems with the beamline. It didn't work, and most of the team went back to the hotel, and I stayed to help the beamline scientist, Dr. Julian Adams, at that time. You know, I think about 4 a.m. we fixed a whole lot of the problems, and he offered me a job. And uh, I remember I. I I was walking back to the hotel in the morning and I rang my wife and asked if she wanted to move to Melbourne and came, had an interview and then moved from Auckland to here in 2007, I think September 2007, and been here ever since. She thankfully said yes to that. Yes, she did. <laughs> she did. It was tough. I mean, uh, I'm a Kiwi, I love New Zealand, but the synchrotron for me, it's like, as a protein crystallographer, it's like going to the Olympics. And I describe my job as a bit like being a scientific midwife. We have all these projects that are pregnant with promise. It takes years or decades for people to understand the cell biology, to get proteins to grow crystals. And then they come to us. And sometimes, you know, it can be a matter of half an hour from bringing in crystals to looking at the structure. Sometimes it takes many years. But it's a very exciting part of the process to be in because we're just, we're the last step before you get the eureka moment. So it's a wonderful, exciting job. And I love my user community. They're so fantastic. And I also have a great team of people. Everything we do here is the work of many. Many hands. 
Tom Credick Davis's work focuses on proteins, which play an important role in all aspects of life, including disease. You've probably heard about the Human Genome Project. Our cells uh, have DNA which encodes tens of thousands of genes. Well, those genes all encode proteins. So proteins are the molecular machines of life, and they're essential for every process in life, how we make energy, how our bodies are structured, and so on. And because they're so critical to life, a lot of proteins are key to disease. So in many diseases like cancer, proteins either are, there's too much of a protein, or it's turned on when it shouldn't, or it's defective. So if you want to study a protein, its structure is incredibly important. Because they're machines, if you can understand their structure, you can understand how they work. But the problem is proteins are really small. You can't just put them in a microscope and look because they're smaller than the wavelength of light. So you need to use light of a very, very short wavelength. So that's why we use x-rays. But the problem is you can't focus x-rays through a lens like you can with a normal microscope. So we take a protein and when we hit it with x-rays it produces scattering. But the scattering from a single protein is so weak you can't measure it. So we grow a crystal out of a protein. And inside the crystal, all of the proteins are lined up the same way. So the scattering from each protein adds together. You have a pattern of constructive interference, and it makes patterns of spots called Bragg reflections. So what we do is we put our crystal in a very bright X-ray beam. We measure the pattern of spots, and we do this as we rotate the crystal. And that makes hundreds and hundreds of thousands of spots. And each spot tells us something different about the structure. So on a computer, we take all of the spots, we put it together, and we solve something called the phase problem, and then we can see the electron density, where all the electrons are. So the beam line and the computer end up acting like a microscope. And on the computer screen, you can actually see where the electrons are. And that, to me, is really cool. You can study a protein for 20 years and know these amino acids are important in the sequence. But when you see the structure, you finally understand how it works. So I can take you to the beam line and show you a recent uh, real success story we had for cancer development. So just come with me, I can show you. Some 20 years ago, researchers in Melbourne realised that some cancers produce a lot of a particular protein called BCL2. The reason for that is your cells know how to behave. That part of an organism, right? They don't just grow randomly. So you have a process called apoptosis, which is cell suicide. What that is, is in an embryo developing, we start with webbing between our fingers. But then that webbing goes away. Those cells die. Similarly, if you have cells in your body that become cancerous or virus-infected, they know they're out of control and they kill themselves. So every day we have about 10,000 cells that become neoplastic and most of them are killed by this process. So for a cancer to form, this mechanism has to break. All cancer has to have de a defect in the cell suicide pathway. And one of the most common ones is a protein called BCL2. That's called a pro-survival protein. This is tug of war in your cells between proteins trying to keep the cells alive and proteins trying to kill them. So some cancers just make lots of these pro-survival proteins. And that way the cell tries to kill itself, but it can't. So what they found was BCL2, there's lots of it, and they theorized that if they made a drug that turned off BCL2, then the normal cell suicide system would start to work again. So they made a drug called Nevetoclax. They put it into clinical trials, but the problem was BCL2 has a closely related protein called BCLXL. When they tested this in human patients, they both treat cancer, but the interaction of this drug with BCLXL killed platelets. It caused a side effect called thrombocytopenia, which meant that the drug couldn't be used. It was, had two dangerous um, side effects. So what they wanted to do was change this drug to make it so that it only bound to BCL2. So what they did was that they did the atomic structures of both proteins and found there's a very slight difference here in the pockets. So BCL2 uh, 
has this little pocket here which isn't present in BCL-XL. So they tested a whole lot of drugs and they found one that will bind effectively to BCL2. It won't bind to BCL-XL. And that, from that drug, venetoclax was derived. So that's gone through phase one, phase two, and phase three clinical trials. And it's used for a disease called chronic lymphocytic leukemia. And it's used when this leukemia comes back from remission. Currently, if you have CLL and it's treated, you go into remission. If the cancer comes back, it's a very serious disease with a very, very poor clinical prognosis. Most patients uh, pass away within 18 months. So the clinical trial went through and they had, uh, I think, 150 patients and the, the results were extremely promising. I think 80% of the patients were still alive at the end of the trial and 20% had no detectable cancer. So it's gone through phase two and phase three trials and now there are new trials all around the world. So this is a new frontline cancer drug. For me as a scientist, being here and meeting a spokesman for the Leukemia Foundation, seeing somebody with leukemia and him saying that these kind of new drugs are what are giving them real promise of, of living a long life and productive life in society. It's just, it's why I became a scientist. And a lot of our users feel the same way. They're scientists all trying to make a difference for the community. So our MXB ones allow people to do this kind of research much faster than the old traditional screening approach where you take a million chemicals, you throw it at a protein, and you hope one of them affects it. You don't know how it affects it, but you just know it works. It also allows you to cut down on side effects. Like in this example, we often have many closely related proteins. And the problem is, is that drugs bind to these closely related proteins, and that's what causes side effects. Most people have heard of Voltaren, they take Voltaren. That targets a protein called cyclooxygenase that causes swelling and inflammation. So you hurt your elbow, you get tennis elbow, you take Voltaren, but the problem is it also affects uh, cyclooxygenase that's in your gut lining, and that causes ulcers. So a lot of this drug development is about making the drugs bind more tightly so you don't get side effects from your body breaking down the drug. And also specificity, that's the real goal. You want to just target the one of the 60 closely related proteins. That was Tom Karadick-Davies. And you also heard from Nick Sharp-Paul, who are both at the Australian Synchrotron in Melbourne. There are, of course, many New Zealand scientists who are using the Synchrotron, and you'll find more about their research on our webpage at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworld. That's all for now, but you can stay in touch with us on Twitter at rnz underscore science. Kia ora mai.